Hello, welcome back to Positive Psychology's podcast lectures. So this week the topic is pleasure, um, which I think can be somewhat appropriate as it is Valentine's Day weekend, um, or Valentine's Day week. Um, today's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day. Uh, when we talk about pleasure, and when you think about pleasure, there, there's a bunch of different ways you can look at it, and, and a bunch of different ways that it is discussed um, pleasure can be divided kind of into two main areas where we talk about what are called raw feels and um, pleasure of the mind or a couple of ways to look at it. Um, pleasure can rank or range in intensity too. So it can be weak where you just feel content and it could be incredibly strong where you're feeling like euphoric or just pure pleasure, just pure happiness. So when people are like, how do you define pleasure? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but in general, I mean, pleasure, we like pleasure. Pleasure is something that feels good. Pleasure is something that makes you feel good. So that's sort of, if, if it's something that makes you feel good, it's a pleasurable experience. So um, one of the big names in the sort of pleasure research in the last 25 years is Rosin, R-O-Z-I-N. Um, Rosin kind of was the one that kind of divided the way we look at pleasure from raw sensation, uh, which is like the physical pleasure. So um, that can be anything that's generated from a um, sensation, um, sense organ, basically. So, you know, a pleasant smell, pleasant taste, anything like along the skin. Um, sexual satisfaction comes from what would be considered a raw pleasure. Um, what's interesting, kind of the way that they define it, is that typically when you look at raw pleasure, it is some kind of exchange of material between the outside and the inside of the body. So, you know, when you're eating something good, you're, you're taking a piece of pizza, for example, and you're eating it um, and you're enjoying it. That would be considered a pleasurable experience. You're taking something from the outside and, and having some sort of interaction with it. Um, it's a way to kind of think about it from a uh, purely um, physical standpoint is that it's a sensation that you're experiencing somewhere that feels good. Another way to kind of look at pleasure from this perspective is look at what we would call like higher pleasure. Um, higher pleasure isn't necessarily like a sensation of pleasure, but it's something that um, kind of looks at what the function of pleasure is. Um, one of the big theories of this is the broad and build theory by Barbara Fredrickson. Um, Fredrickson's, the, the whole idea behind broad and build is that when you are feeling positive emotions, it's a signal of safety. Um, so you like it when you, you're experiencing positive emotions and knows that you're safe and allows you the opportunity to kind of explore, become, um, um, think about more or think about better things, thinking about how to do new things. Um, it makes you feel like you can sort of broaden your horizons. That's why it's called broaden and build theory. Um, so experiencing positive emotions allows you to feel safe and thus you can explore um, the environment around you. You can You can pick up new skills. You can feel the opportunity to do new things. Um, this is kind of the idea behind the broaden build theory and how it kind of fits into pleasure. Another perspective is looking at it from an evolutionary standpoint. And of course, being an evolutionary psychologist, I will very much be very happy to talk about it from an evolutionary perspective. So what is kind of the evolutionary or evolutionary purpose of pleasure? Um, number one, if like the, the most obvious one to me is that if something is pleasurable, you're going to do it more. So eating um, food that tastes good, you're going to eat more. Um, so so you, you develop, we've developed specific tastes over our evolutionary um, time period, specifically for foods that at one point or another were hard to get. That's why 
humans tend to have a strong tendency to like sweet foods or high fat foods or even salty foods because um, in the evolutionary past, those weren't readily available as they are now. Uh, same thing with drinking, like we have, find pleasure in drinking water or anything. So that will allow us to drink more. Um, then, of course, you know, the other big one here is mating. Mating is a pleasurable experience. So thus, you're going to want to do it more. Which also then leads to, just because of what mating does, eventually raising children, which is fascinating because in and of itself, it might not be necessarily a pleasurable experience. But believe it or not, um, I think I mentioned this before maybe, that grandparents find more pleasure in being a grandparent than they did at being a parent. And we kind of see that across the board. So it's kind of a um, raising children really to get to the grandchildren part so that you can have the actual pleasurable experience of being um, a grandparent, I guess. So all of these tasks have some sort of pleasure to them and, and that makes it more likely for it to happen. And that kind of made us our ancestors are more likely to do them. And so here we are having um, preferences that we have for these activities. So when we look at like the science behind pleasure, um, what do we know about pleasure from a scientific perspective? Now, number one, like I said before, the one thing, the big thing we know about pleasure is it feels good. So we know that whatever, if we want to look at something and see if it's pleasurable, that's the first and obvious question to ask. Well, do you like it? Does it feel good? And if the answer is yes, then it's pleasurable. Pleasure can be, it's an experience, right? So when we're talking about pleasure, something that you're enjoying, um, you can look at it as sort of an experience that takes over time, or you can look at it as kind of the different level of strength. So we're talking about quality and quantity here of pleasure. So in other words, when I think about pleasure, I think about it being multidimensional. So when we talk about multidimensional, we know that things can be pleasurable, um, but different things that are pleasurable, we don't experience in the same thing or the same way. There can be things that are possibly negative that we find pleasurable. For example, um, if you think of a sad song or, or a sad movie or a television show that is not necessarily the most happiest thing in the world. Like for example, um, if you watch the television show Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad is considered one of the greatest television shows ever made. Um, people love it. It's, a, it's an experience that they enjoy, but if you've ever watched it, um, there's very few moments in the show of pure happiness or just overall general positive emotions. It's pretty much a negative show. It's a show that, uh, that, that the bad things happen. It's a tragedy. So that kind of shows the idea that we can enjoy things that aren't necessarily happy in and of itself. Um, and in fact, there's some research out there that shows that um, there are some people that may enjoy like sadder things more than happier things. Um, and it's, it's like kind of this whole idea of like enjoying melancholy and sort of the schadenfreude type idea. Um, we can also experience pleasure from adding a stimulus or subtracting it. So for example, if you're um, in the car driving to work or driving to school, um, you may do something like listen to a podcast or listen to music while you're doing it as a way to kind of pass the time to add pleasure to the experience. Um, and then we can also... Um, experience pleasure from subtracting a stimulus. So let's say you're driving to school and you're uh, drinking a beverage and you're listening to your music and you get to school and you really have to go to the restroom. So you go to the restroom, well, there you are subtracting a stimulus to make yourself feel better. I mean, so, so pleasure can happen from adding something or subtracting something from a situation. 
which gets me to think about pleasure and memories. And of course, if you know anything, I'm going to talk about pleasure and memories. I'm, I'm going to talk about the fact that I do research on the fading affect bias, which shows that pleasurable memories, pleasurable experiences we've had in our past, they maintain their affect more than negative memories. So when you think about something in the past, um, we tend to think of it, if it's a positive thing, we, the, the positive emotion can kind of stay. So you can right now think about something that happened to you 10 years ago that was a very positive experience. And when you think about it, you still feel a positive affect from it. One of my favorite sort of memory um, theories about memories of positive experiences or, or just memory of how we relatively evaluate experiences in general comes from something that's called the peak end theory. The peak end theory was created by Kahneman in 1999 and basically the peak end theory says that what our recollection of something is, of, of, of how pleasurable or how much we enjoyed something, isn't the most faithful summary of the whole experience. Um, instead, our memories tend to get um, basically influenced strongly by two main things. How, what the experience was like at its peak and how did it end? So um, I, the, the example I give about this is like when you think about uh, someone that you had a that you think about a relationship you've had in your past, a r romantic relationship that you're like upset by or you're angry by. And it's usually typically the, the peak end theory is what's happening here is that at the peak, it might have been very emotional. But if it ended poorly, then the ended poorly part is going to um, influence the peak part that may have been positive. So you may think of something as being bad because of the fact that it ended poorly. Um, relate that to something that might be um, something that you've all, maybe all, some of you, um, can kind of relate to is like a TV show that does this. So like take, for example, um, Game of Thrones, the, the uh, TV show on HBO. At its peak, people would argue it might have been the greatest television show ever made. However, the end was terrible. So because the end sort of ruins it, um, the peak of it doesn't matter as much as the fact that it ended poorly. Um, you can contrast that with something that may have been sort of mediocre in the middle or not as strong, but ended well. Um, then people will um, look at that as more positively than something that, as I said, kind of peaked, well, peaked really well, but ended poorly. So some other things that we know about pleasure. Um, one of the things that I'm always fascinated by is the fact that Anticipation can um, actually allow us to experience pleasure for something that hasn't happened yet. Um, this is kind of twofold. So, you know, like to take, for example, um, right now, um, this summer, my daughters both play on travel softball teams and they have a national tournaments. Um, they each do. There are two different great age levels, um, a national tournament that's in right outside of Ocean City, Maryland. So we're going to be going to Ocean City, Maryland for two weeks this summer, and we are looking forward to it. We have a condo on the beach. It's going to be great. So like right now, you know, I'll think about that and I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating it very, very excitedly. Or if we're going to like maybe go to Universal in the fall uh, for Harry Potter Halloween, um, my family might get very excited thinking about that. So we, we look at future experiences and just thinking about what's going to happen will allow us to kind of um, experience some pleasure from that now so that when we're looking outside and it's like eight degrees outside in February, we can actually be thinking about something positive in the future that we're looking forward to. Another sort of kind of offshoot of this um, is something that we call the endowment effect. 
The endowment effect is the phenomenon where you like things that are given to you. And if you feel ownership over them, you like them more than things that you don't. So, so if you like, so if you're given something first, you, you take value in it. And because it's yours, you like it more than other things. And this causes a lot of problems in terms of the way things go, in terms of like sort of the way we think and sort of the faults in the way we think. My um, Kahneman again, sorry, um, was one of the people, Kahneman and his colleagues in 91 looked at this, where they have people who um, were sort of given an object. So let's say like they were, they were given a lottery ticket and lottery ticket was worth a dollar. They're giving it to the person. Um, but the, 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 if, if they try to buy it back, the person won't sell it back for anything less than like $5, even though the chances of it winning are very low. But because it's theirs, they feel more ownership over it and they don't want to give it up. Um, this causes another sort of fault in thinking that I've um, another one of my personal favorite um, theories, it's called, or, or, or social problems or whatever you want to call it from the world of cognitive psychology, it's referred to as the Monty Hall problem. And the Monty Hall problem, uh, Monty Hall was the original game show host of Let's Make a Deal. And in the original kind of version of this, a person was given three um, uh, boxes or stage parts to pick from. And so they'd pick one. Um, so let's say I'm on there, I'm on the show, I get to pick one, two, or three. I pick three. Then they show you that, and two of them are, are, are not winners, one of them is a winner. So I pick three. Um, they show me that number one was not a winner. And so I, now I know that the winner is either number two or number three. And at this point, they give me the opportunity to trade the one that I have for the, one that, for the other one. So in this case, I can trade number three for the box number two. Um, what the science behind this says you should do is every time this happens, you should trade your box because statistically speaking, now you have a one in two chance of being correct, whereas before you had a one in three chance of being correct. So you actually have higher odds of picking the right one this time than you did with your first pick. Do most people fall for this or understand that this logic and this is why you do it? Of course not, because they picked this one first. It's the one they feel ownership over. Um, so if you're ever for some reason in a Monty Hall situation where you've picked one and then one of them is taken off the table so you can keep the one you have or trade it for the other one, you always trade it for the other one because statistically speaking, that one's more likely to be the one you need or want or will be the winner or whatever. Um, another fun sort of way to look at pleasure in terms of in the future is looking at predictions of how long a pleasurable experience will last. People have a tendency to overestimate how long positive feelings will last or a positive experience will last. Um, sort of the old adage is true that like time flies when you're having fun, um, but also you can't really predict how long or predict well how long a positive experience will happen. So additionally, when you look at sort of pleasure and pleasurable experiences, and one of the reasons why we are really bad at sort of predicting how long a pleasurable experience will happen or, sort of, or last um, is the fact that we adapt to pleasure. Um, what I mean by that is that when you repeatedly counter or encounter the same pleasure producing stimulus, it becomes less and less pleasurable in response. Um, I, the, the, my example of this is growing up, my mom is a uh, chef. She owns restaurants. Um, one of the restaurants she owns, the one that I worked in, um, back in Illinois when I was in high school and also a bit in college was a restaurant that specialized in Italian food, specifically also pizza. 
So I would be, work there every day in the summer for lunch, the lunch rush. So every day, and then they'd have pizza by the slice, of course, as most restaurant, restaurants have pizza do. So every day I would have a slice of pizza for lunch. But over time, it was becoming less and less desirable to like, by the time I finished working there, I wouldn't be eating pizza. For, I'd be going somewhere else for lunch every day. Um, and that's because the more you encounter something, the less pleasurable it is. So if you're eating the same thing every day, um, it becomes less enjoyable. And so you, you look for other things that would induce or give you pleasure. Why does this happen? Well, one of the big reasons is that it helps us be sensitive to changes in our environment. We talk about habituation when you take like intro to psychology. It's the same sort of concept here is that what we want to do is sort of have a variety of experiences and we want to be um, sensitive to changes in what's going on in our environment. So if you're used to something or, or the pleasure you experience from something like kind of goes away, um, it's because it's sort of looking for other things, other ways to sort of find new stimuli in the environment. The good news about this is that it is not permanent. Um, so one of the best things to do is if you're feeling like, say you, you have a favorite dessert and you're eating it all the time and, and you eat it this time and you're like, meh, um, the, the best advice of this is just stop eating it for a while. Um, so I moved over, so my family's from Illinois and my mom's restaurant, that's the pizza restaurant, specializes in what we call Chicago thin crust pizza. Most of you have heard of deep dish pizza, that's tourist pizza. We don't really eat that if you're from Chicago. What you eat is more of what we call a tavern style pizza. So it's a thin crust pizza and it's delicious. I miss it. But now, like I said, before I'd be working there, I'd eat it and it was like, Neh. now when I go home eating that and uh, Chicago style Italian beef sandwiches are like my favorite thing in the world. So whenever I get to go home and have that, I'm very happy. It's a pleasurable experience. The adaptation is gone. So one of the advice they give about adaptation is if something isn't as enjoyable as it once was, stop eating it, stop enjoying it for a while and come back to it. And, and, and at that point, you'll be able to sort of re-experience it as if it was new. And that's going to be my lecture this week on pleasure. Um, also read the chapter, and I am probably going to add either a documentary about pleasure or maybe a TED Talk. I haven't decided yet. I'm going to be doing that after this lecture today because I only had time to do this at a specific time. So I'm going to be doing the rest of my usual work for this class after later this afternoon. So um, keep up your work. Uh, don't forget to do the quiz, and have a good week.